0: M-S-W-Media. Thanks to Splendid Spoon for supporting Daily Beans. Splendid Spoon sends delicious plant-based meals and snacks designed to fit your busy schedule instead of taking time out of it. Go to SplendidSpoon.com for $50 off your first box when you subscribe to the Breakfast, Lunch & Reset Plan or the Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner & Reset Plan. And thanks to Osea for supporting Daily Beans. Osea has been making products that are clean, vegan, and safe for your skin and the planet for over 25 years. We have a special discount just for you. Get 10% off your first order with promo code DAILYBEANS at oseamalibu.com. Daily Beans Welcome to The Daily Beans for Monday, April 18th, 2022. Today, the Chip Roy and Mike Lee texts to Mark Meadows add to the pile of evidence of corrupt intent. Twitter blocks an Elon Musk takeover using a clever time-tested poison pill. A little-known dark money group is targeting Biden's entire slate of nominees. And well-placed sources say the $2 billion Kushner payoff was likely for intel he gave Mohammed bin Salman. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Dana's traveling today back from San Diego. We had an amazing time at her show featuring Bruce and her and Suzanne, Suzanne Westenhofer. It was absolutely incredible. Thanks for everyone coming out to all the people who came to the show that were Daily Beans listeners. It was wonderful to see you and meet you. And uh, hopefully we'll have a meetup like that again soon. It was so funny. Oh my God. Dana's so funny. <laughs> I hope you get to hear her comedy at some point. She will be back with us tomorrow. Now, also, I'm going to be talking later in the show with Zach Shrewsbury and Lakeisha Lloyd from Common Defense. We're going to talk a little West Virginia strategy with you for the upcoming midterm. So that's going to be a good discussion. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Vicky Ward's Substack piece. Vicki Ward wrote Kushner, Inc., the book about the Kushners. And she has a couple of very well-placed sources that say that the payoff, this two billion dollar investment in his, um, I don't know, in hedge fund, his whatever, Kushner is raising about trying to raise seven billion dollars for, and MBS approved two billion dollars despite the Saudi wealth fund managers saying we don't want to do this. This is bad. It's it's bad optics. It looks bad. It's this person. Kushner is not an investor. He's got no experience investing capital. Uh, and all we're going to get in return is twenty twenty eight 28 percent of the vehicle. And like, why are you doing this? Well, according to Vicky Ward's sources and, and Vicky Ward's latest reporting, and I really recommend you check out her Twitter and read her latest Substack. It's up there on top of her Twitter. It's one of the one of the more recent tweets. Some well-placed sources say that that, that two billion dollars was likely a payoff. And and you know, we were we were sort of everyone was kind of like, oh, it's probably, you know, definitely for intelligence. But back all the way to May of 2018, I've been tweeting about some very specific U.S. intelligence on traitors to the crown in Saudi Arabia that Jared Kushner provided to Mohammed bin Salman. And within weeks of that meeting in Riyadh, they were all rounded up and arrested and some executed and murdered and tortured and so that intel i thought what did what is he going to get for that because that's obviously selling our secrets and it's also what vicky ward posits might be the you know the why everyone was hair on fire about kushner's security clearance and foreign influence you know, we, we remember going all the way back to 2017, 2018 this is a, a, with MBS. So oh, he's in my pocket. Kushner's in my pocket. We remember all that. We remember it. So thanks to uh, Vicky's Well-Placed Sources for confirming what we had pretty much been guessing and kind of knew for a very long time. But really, really amazing reporting from Vicky Ward. Check it out. All right. We have a lot to get to. Let's hit the Hot notes. Awesome. Hot notes. Baby. All right. In the weeks between the 2020 election and the January 6th attack on the Capitol, almost 100 text messages from two staunch GOP allies of then-President Trump reveal an aggressive attempt to lobby, encourage, and eventually warn the White House over its efforts to overturn the election. That's according to the messages obtained by the House Select Committee and reviewed by CNN. Who leaked these messages to CNN? The texts, which have not been previously reported, were sent by Republican Senator Mike Lee of Utah and the Republican Rep Chip Roy of Texas to then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who is under criminal investigation both federally and in North Carolina for voter fraud. The text exchanges show that both members of Congress initially supported legal challenges to the election, but ultimately came to sour on the effort and the tactics deployed by the Trump team, right? Quote, we're driving a stake in the heart of the federal republic. That's what Chip Roy texted Mark Meadows on January 1st. That text was first released in December by the House Select Committee, but it was a non, it just said it was a House Freedom Caucus member. Now we know it's Chip Roy. When situated in the overall timeline of events between the election and January 6th, this series of texts from Lee and Roy provide new details about how Trump allies went from fierce advocates of the former president and his push to overturn Biden's win to disheartened bystanders. By January 3rd, Lee was texting Meadows, This could all backfire badly. (laughs) You think? Some of my favorite texts include the ones where they're like talking about the Sidney Powell's claims about Dominion voting machines, and they're telling Meadows, this is bad for the president, a defamation, he could be liable. So that's interesting and could bolster some of those lawsuits. But shortly after the election, both of these men were encouraging Trump to keep fighting. And we've learned that from these text messages. On November 7th, Lee offered his unequivocal support for you to exhaust every legal and constitutional remedy at your disposal to restore America's faith in our elections. Lee went on, this fight is about fundamental fairness and integrity of our election system. The nation's depending upon your continued resolve. Stay strong and keep fighting, Mr. President. Also on November 7th, Roy wrote to Meadows, we need ammo. We need fraud examples. We need it this weekend. That's basically kind of what Trump was trying to get Barr to fabricate out of whole cloth, just whole cloth, make up voter fraud. Right. And Barr's like, I can't do that. He's like, you know, I'm a dickhead. I'll go on the trail and lie about the potential you know, voter fraud for mail-in ballots that doesn't exist. But I'm not going to create fraud where there's none. And he said there is none. And so on November 7th, the day Joe Biden was announced the winner, Roy said to Meadows, we need ammo, we need fraud examples, and we need it now. Knowing that they didn't have any. That's what that implies, doesn't it, or infers. In a statement to CNN, Lee's communications director, Lee Lonsberry, said, I'd like to highlight that Senator Lee has been fully transparent, pointing to how Lee called for an investigation into claims of fraud in the 2020 election, but ultimately recognized Biden as president-elect and voted to certify the electoral results on January 6th. Over a few days in November, Lee lobbied Meadows to get attorney Sidney Powell access to Trump. This blows my mind. Sidney Powell is saying that she needs to get in to see the president, but she's being kept away from him. Lee wrote to Meadows on November 7th. Apparently, she has a strategy to keep things alive and put several states back in play. Can you help get her in? That's November 7th, right? This is what, you know, Giuliani was doing the Heisman, like trying to keep her out. Lee then sent Meadows Powell's cell number and email. On November 9th, two days later, Lee again pressed Meadows about Powell, calling her a straight shooter. And that same day, Roy warned Meadows about Trump's approach, texting him, we must urge the president to tone down the rhetoric and approach the legal challenge firmly, intelligently and effectively without resorting to throwing wild, desperate haymakers or whipping his base into a conspiracy frenzy. Whipping his base. Then came the now infamous news conference on November 19th where members of Trump's legal team, including Powell, Giuliani and Jenna, laid out a series of false claims and conspiracy theories about alleged voter fraud. The message started to take on a more critical tone. These text messages around that point after after that press conference. Hey, brother, we need substance or people are going to break. Roy texted on November 19th. That's a few hours after the news conference. Two hours later, Lee texted Meadows with serious concern, saying he was worried about the Powell press conference. This potential defamation liability for the president is significant. That's what I was talking about. For the campaign and the president personally. Unless Powell can back up everything she said, which I kind of doubt she can. And then Meadows responded to that set of texts from Mike Lee by saying, I agree. Very concerned. The news conference came as Trump's legal losses were piling up. Right. And in in the courts, those 60 cases he eventually lost and they started to Started to get a pretty good body count going there. And by late November, Lee shifted away from Powell and started promoting right-wing lawyer John Eastman by late November, who, a federal judge in California, said just this past month may have been planning a crime with Trump as they sought to disrupt the certification of the electoral votes. That judge called it a coup in search of a legal theory. Privately, Roy was also texting Meadows with support for Eastman and criticizing Rudy, Have you talked to John Eastman? Roy texted November 22nd. Get Eastman to file in front of PA Board of Elections. Get data in front of public domain. Frigging Rudy needs to hush. Chip Roy. By December, both Republican lawmakers expressed grave concerns to Meadows about the plan to challenge the election on January 6th. The plan. Remember, it was a plan. On December 16th, Lee asked Meadows for guidance. If you want senators to object, we need to hear from you on that ideally getting some guidance on what arguments to raise. <laughs> we need you to tell us why we need to object. Quote, I think we're now past the point where we can expect anyone will do it without some direction and a strong evidentiary argument. No, you're wrong. Holly and Cruz sure did. On December 34th, Roy expressed even more concern in text to Meadows. He said the president should call everyone off. It's the only path. If we substitute the will of the states through electors with a vote by Congress, Every four years, we have destroyed the Electoral College respectfully. That's what Chip Roy wrote. And by this time, Trump and his allies were working behind the scenes to enlist portions of the federal government in the effort to overturn the election. As we know, including Justice Department officials, Bill Barr asked him to investigate the fraud and the agency declared there was none. As I said, Trump was also putting heavy pressure on Mike Pence to not certify the election. In a January 3rd text to Meadows, Lee argued that Trump's effort to have states send alternate slates of electors to Congress was not legitimate, was not legitimate. No way Trump didn't know. Quote, I only know this will end badly for the president unless we have the Constitution on our side. That's what Lee texted to Meadows, This Mike Lee. And unless these states submit new slates of Trump electors pursuant to state law, we do not have the Constitution on our side. It's known. It was well known. As CNN has previously reported, the plan to replace authentic electors with fake ones in a handful of swing states was orchestrated by allies of the former president, overseen by Rudy. None of those alternate slates of pro-Trump electors received sign-off from state officials or were put before Congress. Pence changed the language to block it from happening, and it's being federally criminally investigated. While Lee and Roy both voted to certify the electoral results in favor More than 100 of their Republican colleagues in both the House and the Senate did not. Chief among them, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, both of whom Lee called out in his text to Meadows, by the way. Lee said, I have grave concerns with my friend, the way my friend Ted is going about this effort. This will not inure to the benefits, the benefit of the president. Let's add that Lee said, unless new competing slates of electors were put forward in accordance with state law, The net effect could help people like Ted and Josh to the detriment of Donald John Trump. When January 6th finally came, neither Lee nor Chip Roy joined their colleagues in objecting to the results. After the violence unfolded, Congress returned to session. Roy said on the House floor, the president should never have spun up certain Americans to believe something that simply cannot be. And he also texted Meadows, this is a shit show. Fix this now. If you want to see all those texts, you can Google the Roy Lee CNN texts and they've got them all listed out for you. Also, the contentious confirmation hearings for Ketanji Brown Jackson ultimately as we know resulted in her being confirmed to the Supreme Court. Woohoo. But the fierce campaign against her is concerning in part because it was spearheaded by a new conservative dark money group that was created in 2020, the American Accountability Foundation. An explicit purpose of the AAF a politically active tax exempt nonprofit charity that doesn't disclose its backers is to prevent the approval of all Biden administration nominees. That is one of their purposes. This comes from a piece in the New Yorker by Jane Mayer, the amazing Jane Mayer. She says, while the hearings were taking place, the AAF publicly took credit for uncovering a note in the Harvard law review in which they claimed Jackson had argued that America's judicial system is too hard on sex offenders. The group also tweeted that she had a soft on sex offender record during her eight years as a judge on the U.S. District Court for the D.C. District of Columbia. And as The Washington Post and other outlets stated, Jackson's sentencing history on such cases was well within the judicial mainstream and in line with half a dozen judges appointed by the Trump administration. When Jackson defended herself on this point during the hearings, the AAF said on Twitter that she was lying. The group's allegation, reminiscent of the QAnon conspiracy, which claims that liberal elites are abusing and trafficking children, rippled through conservative circles. Tucker Carlson repeated the accusation on his Fox News program, with a Chiron declared Jackson lenient on child sex cases. Marjorie Taylor Greene, the extremist representative from Georgia, called Jackson pro-pedophile. And rather than attack single candidates or nominees, the AAF aims to thwart the entire Biden slate. The obstructionism? like the Republican blockade of Biden's legislative agenda in Congress, is the end in itself. The group hosts a website, BidenNoms.com, that displays the photographs of administration nominees it's targeted as though they were hunting trophies. And the AAF hasn't just undermined nominees for cabinet and court seats, the kinds of prominent people whose records are usually well-known and well-defended. It's also gone after relatively obscure sub-cabinet-level political appointees whose Public profiles can be easily distorted and who have little entrenched support. The AAF, which is run by conservative white men, has particularly focused on blocking women and people of color. As of last month, more than a third of the 29 candidates it had publicly attacked were people of color. Nearly 60 percent were women. Among the nominees, the group boasts of having successfully derailed are Saul Omarova a nominee for comptroller of the currency and Sarah Bloom Raskin, whom Biden named to be the vice chair for supervision of the Federal Reserve Board. David Shipman, who Biden wanted to run the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and Explosives, and David Wheel, Biden's choice for the wage and hour division of the Department of Labor, both saw their nominations flounder in the wake of AAF attacks. Currently, the group is waging negative campaigns against Lisa Cook, who is, if confirmed, would become the first black woman to serve on the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. You can read the rest of this piece in The New Yorker, newyorker.com. The Democrats always seem to be playing defense. I would like to see our offense get on the field. And Twitter does not want to become a plaything of the world's richest person. On Friday, it turned to a tried and tested corporate defense mechanism invented in the 80s, the heyday of the corporate raider, to block a potential takeover attempt by Elon Musk and buy the board some time. This mechanism, known as a poison pill, has a simple intention to make it less palatable for a potential buyer to pursue the target company if the buyer accumulates shares above a certain threshold. In Twitter's case, if Mr. Musk bought more than 15% of the company, Twitter would flood the market with new stock that all shareholders except Mr. Musk could buy at a discounted price. Woohoo. It's a cool plan that would immediately dilute musk's stake and make it significantly more expensive for him to buy the company. Mr. Musk currently owns a little more than 9% of Twitter stock. Twitter said its plan would be in place for just shy of one year. The tool will not stop the company from holding talks with any potential buyers. It will give it more time to negotiate a deal that Twitter's board believes best reflects the company's values. The strategy does not mean the company is going to be independent forever, said Drew Pascarella, a senior lecturer of finance at Cornell. It just means they can effectively fend off Elon. Womp womp. Twitter is weighing whether to invite bids from others. Two people close to the company told told the Washington Post, uh, should it decide to court buyers, Silver Lake, a private equity firm that already owns a significant stake in Twitter, could be a possibility. Silver Lake, a technology-focused buyout fund, has more than $90 billion in assets under management and a managing partner there, Egon Durbin sits on Twitter's board already. Egon. Durbin. (laughs) Do-ray. Egon. Okay. Silver Lake has come to Twitter's rescue before, in 2020, when Elliott Management, an activist investor, amassed shares in Twitter and wanted to make changes. Silver Lake helped the parties reach a compromise. As part of the deal, Silver Lake invested a billion bucks in Twitter. But Silverlake also agreed at the time not to acquire more than 5% of the company, so Twitter would have to waive this so-called standstill agreement before it could entertain any offer from Silverlake. It's also not clear whether Silverlake, which has its own history with Mr. Musk having worked on his unsuccessful effort to take Tesla private, will offer a deal or has the financing necessary to do so on its own. Silverlake declined to comment. And at least one other private equity firm, Toma Bravo, is weighing a possible offer for Twitter, too. That's according to Reuters. All right. We will be right back. We're going to talk to a couple of great folks from Common Defense. Stick around.
1: After these messages, we'll be right back.
0: Hey, everybody. It's AG. And today's show is brought to you by Osea. This year, I'm making personal care a priority, particularly my skincare. I'm trying Osea, the amazing cult favorite skincare line. For over 25 years, Osea has been making clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. They have award-winning cleansers, serums, and face moisturizers too. They just released an amazing body butter that's proven to moisturize skin for up to 72 hours. I love the way it makes my skin look and feel. I definitely recommend it. I can, it just feels different. You know, it's if I can feel my skin absorbing it and holding on to the moisture. Osea's body oil as well is absolutely luxurious. It makes your skin smooth, soft, and nourished. Osea's products are incredible. They're incredible value and they're made by the highest quality standards I know you'll love them as much as I do. So find your new skincare favorites at oseamalibu.com and get a special discount for listeners. You get 10% off your first order with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $50 get free shipping. You're going to want it all. So go to Osea, O-S-E-A, Malibu.com and use code DAILYBEANS at checkout. And today's show is also brought to you by Helix Sleep. We know how important sleep is. I love sleep. It's my favorite thing. (laughs) I love sleep so much. It's really important for our mental and physical well-being. We can't function properly when we're not well-rested. In the past, I had trouble falling asleep. I had trouble staying asleep, get the night sweats. I couldn't function properly all day. It was burning me out. I thought it was stress and anxiety, but as it turns out, I was sleeping on a mattress designed for someone else. And that's when Helix came to the rescue. You take the Helix sleep quiz to find out which mattress is right for you. And they match you with a mattress that'll give you the best night's sleep of your life. They have a variety of mattresses available. Uh, Body temperature controlling mattresses, soft, medium, firm. They have a plus size mattress for plus size sleepers. It's amazing. They have everything under the sun. And thanks to Helix, I can fall asleep easily, stay asleep throughout the night, and I wake up feeling refreshed and alert. As you know, Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. They were number one overall mattress pick in 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. And of course, leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix to improve sleep. There's a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps, risk-free. And they'll come pick it up for you and give you a refund if you don't love it. And they have financing options available too. Now, right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com dailybeans. That's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash daily beans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Everybody, welcome back. I'm happy today to be joined by a climate justice organizers with Common Defense, Zach Shrewsbury and Lakeisha Lloyd. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you guys. We've talked to some folks from Common Defense before and the great work that Common Defense is doing. Can you remind the listeners what Common Defense is and, and what you're about?
2: Yes, so Common Defense is actually the largest grassroots veterans organization in the country. Our membership is 300,000 veterans, military family members, and supporters with members in every state. Uh, We focus on training, empowering, and mobilizing veterans to be leaders in their communities and to become an active part of our multi-generational, multi-racial movement for equality and justice. Part of that is what we're doing now with the climate justice piece that we're working on. As we know, that climate change is a very real thing. And, you know, one of the things that we have to face is that when you're dealing with climate change, veterans do have a very big voice in this. For the simple fact that, as we are already seeing in other countries, there is, you're dealing with food shortage conflicts over food shortages, Uh, you know, environmental refugee crisis and things like that. So when things get a little bit out of hand, when there's conflict, there's a possibility of war and we have to go. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, (laughs) and when we have natural disasters here in our own country, you know, when uh, here in the United States, anytime you see these serious natural disasters who are being called to help, it's the National Guard, right? It's service members that are being, you know, called up to have to help take care of this. And, you know, um, so this is something that is very, very important to the veteran community with common defense.
0: Yeah. And, and I've noticed that veterans are really engaged as our active duty service members, because uh, to be honest with you, the military has been on top of climate change and, and the impact for quite a long time. I mean, I was in in the 90s right. and we were talking about how we're going to have to deal with base closures and movement because of flooding and rising sea levels, and it wasn't until uh, <clears throat> recent administrations where the where the verbiage about climate change was taken out of all you know the federal government websites and and plans and policies, and and we we were <laughs> the, I was at the VA, we're like, wait, how can you possibly? not talk about this and just like wreck six of our largest military bases in the country. So it is definitely very close to veterans. And uh, and right now, my understanding is you are doing some work specifically in West Virginia. And I happen to recall that there's a specific senator in West Virginia, who may or may not be a reason that we didn't get a second infrastructure bill that includes climate issues passed. Can you talk a little bit about what Common Defense is doing to help push this incredibly important agenda in places like West Virginia?
1: Certainly. I will touch on that. So um, in West Virginia, Lakeisha and I have been hooking and jabbing for, what, should maybe close to a year now. Um, we have almost 100 members in West Virginia um we have very active groups, and we we've just been moving a lot of that has been dealing with um different political events, rallies, and um talking to Senator Manchin's staff and himself. always like Lakeisha and I like to do is remain we, we remain respectful and cordial, and just we like to push um you know we push our issues, but we also hear hear their side of things as well, and um we just continue that conversation you know there there is no there is no Hostility. It's just it, it, it's a talk, you know. It's it's a the conversation. There is no need for name calling and such like that.
0: Yeah, and veterans veterans groups are a great go between across the aisle because at least for now, mostly <laughs> both parties respect uh, veterans and, yes. and what they have to say. I mean, we've seen some outliers here with Marjorie Taylor Greene saying, you know, well, it's a waste of your life if you go into the service. We know about Trump and his suckers and losers comment, but for the most part. It would be politically disastrous for Republicans to take a dump on veterans, and so I—I I didn't mean to call out a specific party, but I think we all know who we're talking about here. But there are members, as I've mentioned, in the Democratic Party that are kind of making it difficult as well. That would do well to listen to veterans, and so I think that that's really amazing. Is that kind of one of the the sort of the linchpins of, of common defense? Is that hey, we we've, we've got a boy, we've got a vo- voice on both sides of the aisle here.
2: It really is, um, because at the end of the day, when we really you know, even though we when we really look at the situation here, this goes beyond political affiliation when it comes to veterans, you know, spe- specifically here in the state of West Virginia. West Virginia has uh, per capita the most veterans in the nation. A lot of people don't know that. Mm-hmm. And so when we are, you know, like right now, we're looking at the reconciliation bill and the climate provisions and that uh, in, in the reconciliation bill, you know, The money that uh, that $555 billion investment in climate could do so much for the people here in the state of West Virginia, specifically jobs. You know, a lot of people don't realize just how uh, many veterans are underemployed here in the state. Our jobs necessarily do not transfer over into the civilian world most of the time. So you come back home and specifically here in West Virginia, where we already have a uh, issue with lack of good paying, stable jobs, except for the mines or the military, right? You want to have a good paying job. That was traditionally where you had to go. You either went in the mines or you went into the military, but with uh, you know, where we're at now, especially dealing with the issues that's going on, you know, and the ban on Russia and Russian oil, it's really created a a, a good space to be able to work with, um, you know, senators and House representatives, you know, to be able to really speak to them of, hey, we need jobs, right? Mm-hmm. West Virginia is open for business. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, part of that workforce uh money that is you know in that 555 billion dollar price tag on the climate change that is going to help with training and transitioning uh for veterans to be able to go into higher paying stable jobs as well as miners who many are veterans you know a transition out of the mines so yeah good good union jobs too right.
0: and that's a really big thing in west virginia i'm certain And, you know, right now, the EU is drafting a resolution to cut itself completely off from from Russian oil. So not only do we need jobs, particularly in West Virginia, but, you know, in the United States as well, but in West Virginia, too, uh, we need energy. And so, Zach, are you linking up as common defense linking up Putin's war in Ukraine and the need to become independent from Russian oil and just foreign oil in general? And the climate crisis, because here we have an opportunity to kill two birds. Right. And I've been screaming for months now, like, why isn't anybody pounding on mansions' door saying, hey, we need an all of energy approach even like, okay, you know, fine. Go all of energy if you want to. But right now the the oil companies aren't drilling, they aren't taking advantage of their nine thousand or so. Land leases to drill, and it's driving up oil prices. And so the solution is clean, green
1: jobs. Yes. Yeah. We've, yeah, we have 100% been been at the door knocking exactly about that. You know, we can't be dependent on, um, you know, dictatorship oil like like Vladimir Putin, for example. Um, the way to become um, free of that is green energy and renewable energy. Yeah, it really is one of the only ways forward. Also, to uh, reiterate one of the unique things we've been, Doing is that we have we very much focus on um, working class jobs. Focus. We must ensure that people who are going to transition into uh, these renewable jobs have that ability. We're not. No one gets left behind in this. A lot of times, um, a lot of talking points that happen towards law centers and such, they leave the working people out. They just they they just want to close down the mines and leave them and leave them to figure out themselves. And that continues to create gridlock in Washington. Our solution here is to, as long as you take care of the working man and woman and make sure that tradition can happen, it breaks the gridlock. Yeah, and, and training programs.
0: Yes. And I think some of the money designated set aside in the infrastructure plan, and I know in the other bill, too, the Build Back Better, did go and would go toward a retraining. And there's so much money to be made. So I don't understand why Republicans would want to leave that on the table. Just ask Rick Perry. I personally wouldn't want to speak to him myself but he made a ton of money in Texas with wind. It can be done and it should be done. And you know, and also it's a lot safer mm-hmm. of a job than than working in the mines, you know, to be to be frank and honest about it. And so I'm so glad that Common Defense is using veterans' voices to promote this idea and to get it to both sides of the aisle. Now, have you made any headway in West Virginia on either side of the aisle?
2: Yes, actually, um, you know, we are, uh, we have plans, you know, it is our plan moving forward to reach out, um, make this more of a bipartisan issue and be able to talk to, you know, some of more moderate Republicans that have a tendency to just want to meet that, meet that halfway mark, you know, and we've also like, uh, just to reiterate, you know, Zach, we have actually made a lot of headway, you know, in speaking with Senator Manchin's staff. And, you know, we've been uh, had a good opportunity to speak with Senator Manchin on past issues as well. So, you know, we are very, very optimistic that um, the more outreach that we do and, you know, here's the thing about veterans is that we've all, you know, with Common Defense, the veterans of Common Defense and veterans as a whole, at some, the majority of us, we've lived it. Right. We came home and could not get a job and, you know, had to live, uh, you know, could not afford to even live on our own. You know, me, myself, when I was a young mom. Right. I got out and I've got two children, two boys, and I'm having to live at home with my mom because here in southern West Virginia, I could not find a decent paying job to where I could afford to move out. You know, Mm -hmm. so that's, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that we most definitely want to be able to promote is giving veterans that that way of transitioning through training, retraining to where not only are the ones that they have a pathway forward, right? Mm -hmm. And we're able to take, they're able to take care of their families. You know, this is something that messes with the pride of, you know, our pride a little bit when we're not able, when we come out of service. And we know that we come out with all these skills and all this expertise, and then we have to come home and can't find a job um, and not be able to provide. So this most definitely creates an opportunity for us to be able to correct that.
0: Yeah, 100%. And and as someone who worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs for over a decade, I had been... Pushing the idea of setting aside some of the defense budget, the NDAA, Mm -hmm. to train to train veterans or men and women or people who are just getting out of the armed forces to work in the health sector, you know, because we have a massive shortage at the VA of optometrists, uh, you know, ortho, uh, Mm -hmm. physical therapists, etc. And so now I don't understand, or I would start pushing that we should use part of the defense budget doesn't have to be an infrastructure bipartisan bill. Let's let's set aside part of the defense budget to train veterans in green jobs and green energy so that when they transition out of the military, they've got a wonderful union high paying job waiting for them. And we can call it national security because let's be honest, the climate crisis is a national security issue. Yeah. So, anyway, just my idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just throwing it out there. So that might be some, something of interest, you know, to, to draft up uh, ideas for, you know, get in touch with Jack Reed, who I'm, I'm having a fight with in Rhode Island. He, he's a chair of the, of the Armed Services Committee, do, drafts the NDAA and say, hey, next time, why don't we put a provision in the Department of Defense budget to train for climate jobs anyway? Just spitballing. Uh, but could you talk a little bit, Zach, about where people can find common defense and support common defense and, and maybe even some veterans who are listening to get involved with common defense?
1: Absolutely. Um, it's it's easy as you just type in common U.S. On, on the internet and you, you will find us. But um, you can also feel free to reach out to Lakeisha or myself if you are listening here and we can um put we can send our emails to, to you, Allison. But yeah, I mean, we're we're pretty simple to find. Honestly, we're all over Facebook. We're all over social media. You just literally—it's it, just a simple search. Honestly, awesome. You know, Lakeisha, feel free to, to uh, top that off if if, if, you have to, if I missed anything.
2: No, I think you got it, <laughs> Zach. Yeah, it's it's very simple to be able to contact us. Um, just like just reiterate, commondefense.us. Uh, quick Google search or just type it in your yeah. bar, and you'll be able to find us and find out more information about us.
1: Yep. And there's a whole join. there's a whole joint form. You fill it out and someone will be in touch with you, depending on where your state's at.
2: Yeah. Uh, amazing. Well,
0: thank you. Thank you both. Thank you for your service. Zach, what uh, branch were you in?
1: I was in the Marine Corps.
0: Lakeisha? I was in Army. All right. Navy. All right. We got three here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your service. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, this information with us today. Best of luck in West Virginia and beyond commondefense.us, everyone. Stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hi, everyone. It's AG for the Daily Beans. Some days I get so busy, I barely have time to eat. You know this about me, let alone cook. Forget it. I keep sweaters in my stove. So (laughs) it can be pretty time consuming to be constantly shopping, meal planning, prepping, cooking. So Why not get straight to the good part with great meals that require no prep whatsoever? My favorite kind, Splendid Spoon, sends delicious plant-based meals and snacks right to your door. It is ready to eat food designed to fit into your busy schedule instead of taking time out of it. Splendid Spoon takes the work out of healthy eating. It's amazing. I'm in love with it. Splendid Spoon makes clean, delicious food made with real ingredients and spices. Every single meal is 100% plant-based, gluten-free, and GMO-free. Perfect. They've got plenty of smoothies, grain bowls, soup bowls, noodle bowls. Oh, they have so much and it's so delicious. They have over 50 choices and they're constantly rotating their menu. There's always new dishes to try. Plus, eating plant-based food can come with a wealth of benefits like improved energy, sleep, digestion, complexion. I love how easily Splendid Spoon fits into your daily routine and saves me so much time. They have many tasty dishes. Some of my faves are the coffee frappe smoothie. It is so good. The creamy butternut squash noodles are amazing, and the coconut curry rice bowl is my favorite. So try Splendid Spoon today. Take meal planning off your plate. Just go to splendidspoon.com dailybeans for $50 off your first box when you subscribe to the breakfast, lunch, and reset plan or the breakfast, lunch, dinner, and reset plan. That's splendidspoon.com dailybeans for $50 off. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Since Dana isn't here today, I am going to save your good news submissions that we were going to read today for tomorrow when she comes back. So today, please enjoy a rerun of the landmark episode Charismatic Mega Plastics good news segment. You're welcome. we are going to need i am i'm begging like trump begged raffensburger i'm going to need your good news we're going to need your good news this week and next week uh, it's so please send in any good news stories you have pod pet pics uh, kids grandkids whatever you got send it in dailybeanspod.com click on contact we we also take corrections and uh, we also accept uh, confessions. And then, of course, if you want to have a dispute settled in Amy's court on Fridays, we can do that, too. So that's what we what we do. Um, you ready for this, Dana?
3: I am. We've got uh, some long ones and some good ones. So,
0: yeah, uh, I'll, I'll kick this off with uh, Brian pronouns he and him hello beans crew thank you for doing important work ag thank you especially for bringing us these shows they're consistently amazing oh thank you brian you've helped me over the last four years get through some pretty dark times Back at you, Brian. The good news is that it's almost over. Trump has done more harm to our democracy and collective spirit than I thought possible four years ago. The Democrats aren't perfect, but at least they're on our side. I look forward to your stories holding these villains accountable. I want to know Mitch McConnell's dark secret. I want to know about the skeletons in Pompeo's closet. I want to know why these scoundrels sold us out. We will finally we will find out eventually. And that's the good news. Uh, I have attached a photo. Uh, and f- a few photos of our precious pups, Ahab and Sally. Ahab is 16 year old Jack Russell, and Big Sal is a 13 year old mini schnauzer. They love going for bike rides. The last photo is a promo for my local business, e bike cargo. If you ever want to do a segment on sustainable transportation, I would love to help.
3: Oh, <gasps> <gasps> very nice, these babies.
0: Look at the little mall. Look at the schnauzer. Schnauzer party.
3: So cute. That third picture. My goodness, all happy in the sun.
0: Oh, and the palm trees. This looks nice.
3: V-Locker. I love it.
0: It is great. Yeah, those little baskets, those really cool, sustainable, awesome, um, secure baskets on the back of your bike to carry stuff around and including tiny dogs.
3: I love it. All right. we got more stuff coming. This is from Kelly Pronouns, she and her. Happy New Year to everyone on the Beans team. I was listening to Friday's episode, Trump Pence Me Cute, and I had to pull myself off the road when I heard Linda's good news story so I could look up visual snow syndrome. I'm so thankful she wrote in with this good news because I think I may be predisposed to this condition also. I've had migraines since early childhood and I've never had visual auras. I actually sometimes have auras that are partially paralysis, uh, but hey, that's unrelated i do have serious light sensitivity though and i like linda also have a cardiologist for other reasons and last year they had me try a medicine let me tell you all i've never tried acid but after one dose of that drug it was like i woke up inside a kaleidoscope Uh apparently this was an extremely severe version of an already rare side effect called luminous phosphenes. My doctors were very confused. Everything I know about it, I've learned through my own research. I've honestly been freaked out about it ever since. It took weeks to go away and I could barely walk from all the moving rainbow lights. I just wanted to reach out and say thank you to Linda because in the brief time I spent on the side of the road reading about visual snow, I think it would be very helpful for me to bring to my care team. So thankful to UAG for creating this podcast that keeps me updated on the news. It has such a wonderful community where this kind of chance blessing can occur. Hers to a wonderful twin. 2021.
0: That's awesome. Kelly, thanks for writing in. And thanks for Linda for you writing in. See, we're all helping each other. This is wonderful. Uh, next up from Jim: pronouns he and him. Good news. As, de- as of December 14th, my wife Jan and I are great. Grandparents. Our grandson Philip and his partner Yasmin had a boy, Angel Matthew Hernandez. Baby and mother are healthy and doing well. Angel is Philip's middle name and the baby's middle name is Matthew. uh, And that's for Philip's late brother, Matthew, who was murdered in twenty thirteen at age nine by their father as he was losing a custody battle with our daughter after the divorce. Jessica and her boys have lived with us for about three years while her ex was in prison, and I had spent more dad time with those kids than their biological father, taking them to school, helping them with their homework, teaching them how to throw a Frisbee at the park. We'll always miss Maddie, but seeing his name carried on this way feels good. So the birth of Philip's little boy is really good news, a wonderful holiday gift for the family. Interesting, the thought of being a great-grandparent doesn't feel weird, but our daughter being grandma is unreal. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have a safe and have a much better year in 2021. If you're able to start touring again this coming year, come to New Mexico. We'll be there. We should go to Albuquerque.
3: Oh, in a heartbeat. I have the theater all set for us. You would love it. Oh, sweet. Okay,
0: we're coming to Albuquerque. You got that, Jim? Pod pet picks tax attached. Man, that's hard to say. Our three cats, all from the same litter. We were foster failures and adopted them as kittens about eight years ago now instead of just fostering them. The two tabby brothers are Rusty, orange and white, and Mpenzi, tan. His his name is Swahili for lover boy. <laughs> And uh, their torty sister is Bolt, so named for her habit of instantaneously teleporting through any door left open for a microsecond. If we don't want her to go through it, her favorite stunt is to escape from the house. They're indoor cats; and they just sit outside the door, watching us and waiting for us to come scoop her up and schlep her back inside. Look at these babies! Aww. Semper Fidelis, and take care. Hurrah! So
3: sweet. They're beautiful. Look at the.
0: I want to. I want to. I want to rub the belly. Mm rub the belly. So sweet. All of them. So, so sweet.
3: Oh, I love that story. You know, I think about Listening to these stories from the listeners, just like how much life people have lived. Mm. You, know, I, I, you know, I think about this all the time because of what I do for a living, A.G. And when you were traveling um, with the, the show and performing, we meet more people than most normal on average people do. And I just love hearing these stories of people and actually really connecting with it uh, mm. all over the all over the world. Anyway, I think it's incredible.
0: Yeah, it's amazing to like, you know, I sometimes sit and think about how complex my life is and how many people I know and all the things that I'm doing. And then I muse about everyone else having the same level of complexity in their lives and how expansive they are and that we all live together in this community and on this planet. And it's just it blows my mind how much. How much information and data and joy and pain and love and everything that is, how, how much is encompassed in just in just who we are as people. Totally.
3: It's amazing. It's amazing. I love these stories. So we have another one. This one's from Anonymous. Pronouns he and him. Hello, ladies. Please forgive the length of this submission. There's just no short way to tell the story. I completely understand if you don't want to air this, privately enjoy and just get a good laugh. Except for Donald Trump. Names have been changed for obvious reasons. Also, Uh uh I've been a listener since back in the kitchen table, uh, atrocious audio days. (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) I'm not even sure how I found MSW, but I was stoked when the Daily Bean started and listened to it every day. Now, this is neither good news nor a confession, but it has to do with Donald Trump and dildos. So there has to be good, right? So maybe it'll be good on the slow, good news day. This happening in September of 2019. So pre-COVID, but it's worth telling. I thought about sharing it with Beans for a while. Last month, when you mentioned the Hungarian COVID super spreader orgy, I figured it was time. Great, <laughs> buckle up! <laughs> Here we go, everyone. Uh, I work for a local chapter of an international nonprofit group dedicated to water quality issues relating to equity, conservation, and environmental quality. A couple times a year, we organize eighth graders to do a creek cleanup in our local stream. We provide uh, five gallon, yeah. We provide five gallon buckets, garbage bags, PPE. Break them up into groups of five to eight kids, accompanied by a teacher, parent, or representative of the nonprofit, and they clean about a mile of stream stream bank the kids collect everything they can reasonably and safely pick up we bring it back to a sorting area where it is separated weighted and or counted glass and aluminum recycled and the rest goes to the landfill the kids use the data for their classwork and the data we collect helps us quantify yearly totals etc Now, this creek goes right through the middle of town, a progressive, environmentally aware university town. This is a green belt and concrete path along the creek, and it stays relatively clean. But college kids, transients, tubers, kayakers, swimmers, recreationalists, kooks and weirdos leave their shit everywhere, so there's a lot of crap left over. So the sorting area is near the dumpster in a hotel parking lot. And as things come in, piles develop. Cans and bottles, cigarette butts, shoes, tennis balls, clothes, all manner of flotsam and jetsam uh, start to accumulate. There are always some unusual finds. For each of these events, myself and other staff members keep an eye on what's picked up. And from the, the refuse, we um, elevate a holy trinity. It usually consists of the three largest or most unusual finds. It's normally what we call charismatic megaplastics, Um exactly Example, traffic cones, kids play kitchens, chairs, etc. Now, the group of kids I was working with was three boys and three girls who had sort of self-segregated by gender. We have to understand that kids are kind of all over the place. I'm mostly there to keep them from stepping on nails or picking up stuff we don't want them to like jagged hunks of metal, needles, broken glass, etc. One of the young ladies goes, hey, look at what I found. It's Donald Trump. I didn't immediately walk over to see what she was talking about before I even turned to look that direction. I heard the words that no 54-year-old man working with eighth graders ever wants to hear. Isabella found a vibrator! Ah! (laughs) Screak! (laughs) Block! Kelsey! Put it down! Put it in the bucket! Uh... I then did what any normal person would do in the situation. I fucking panicked. I mean, what the fuck was I supposed to do at that point? <laughs> Is this a hazmat situation? Do they have all their shots? I just can't walk over and tell an eighth grade girl to hand over the vibrator. Can I? Do I say anything at all? No, you don't say a fucking word and you pretend it's not happening. <laughs> They'll just put it in a five gallon bucket, right? And when they dump it out on the collection area, I'll just snag it real quick and get to the dumpster, okay? I've got a plan. Now, a few seconds go by. I've collected myself, and I'm at a level of benign resignation that my choice, just to play it off, like it isn't happening. All right. I think to myself, I have this under control. This can't get worse. I glance toward them, but the terrain and vegetation is blocking my view. It's as nonchalant a fashion as I can. I walk in their direction. Put the commotion is intensifying. The girls are laughing and screaming and every thread of my being knows this is worse than I thought. Now, as the situation comes into view, I see this isn't a vibrator at all. It's a giant double-ended dildo one end bigger than the other and probably two feet long one of the girls is holding a Donald Trump chia pet ball devoid of any chia one of the others is hitting the Donald on the head and jabbing him in the face with a dildo then she starts swinging it at her friends the only the only thing going on my way is that at this point the boys have not responded to the ruckus however runners cyclists and pedestrians are going past it at a pretty good rate and it's clear i am the adult in charge of these kids awkward so i decide this has to end now it has to or the situation will get infinitely worse than it already is. The potential spectacle caused by 50 other kids encountering the dildo has to be subverted. At this point, I've identified Kelsey as the one wielding the dildo, and I do what I have to. I do what I have not wanted to do until this point. I acknowledge and sequester the dildo. Heroically, I extend my arms, I open my garbage bag, and I say loudly, Stop. Now I've got their attention. Kelsey! put the dildo fuck i just said dildo to them they think it's a vibrator (laughs) oh fuck it put it in put it in the bag she drops it in a mostly empty garbage bag which is tall enough to be contacting the path the bike path below and it hits the cement with a thud that if i'm honest almost makes me throw up in my (laughs) mouth a little bit dana makes gag sound Okay, keep calm and carry on. I see (laughs) as they they laugh for the obvious. Okay. Uh laugh for obvious my mouth's actually watering a little bit okay um <laughs> laugh of obvious not for good reasons obvious metric reasons okay after a few more minutes the kids are ready to empty their buckets so we start heading back to the sorting area along the way i say quietly to the three girls i'm throwing this in the dumpster so as soon as we get back no one's going to see it and that was the last i spoke of it to them one of the boys overheard me and asked what i was talking about <sighs> what are you talking about he asked nothing Isabel found a vibrator. It didn't find a vibrator. You found a you found a vibrator? It wasn't a vibrator. It was a dildo. She said loud <laughs> enough for anyone within 500 miles to hear. It echoed off into infinity. Dildo, 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 dildo. The walk back consisted of giggling and murmuring about dildos and vibrators, which I ignored. I guess there's some news on that project. The kids picked up almost 1,400 pounds of garbage, glass and aluminum. I'm I'm sure 1,200 pounds of that was the double-headed dildo. dildo. Yeah, that was just my... (laughs) That was the narrator, everybody. On the same stretch of stream that another group had um picked up sixteen hundred pounds of garbage six months earlier. Jesus Christ, people, stop leaving so much garbage over there. Uh when we got back to the sorting area, I did show the other adults the dildos so that if it came up at all, they'd already have a heads up, no pun intended, regarding the truth <laughs> of the situation. If it
0: came up at all, they'd, they'd have a heads up. They'd have <laughs> they'd actually
3: have two heads up. They'd have a double head up? Okay, regarding the truth of the situation that all got a good laugh out of the story. There's no pet tax, honey. and You don't have to give us one. There's no pet tax um, is attached, but I am including a picture of a tiny bit of unsorted trash that events Holy Trinity, the two foot long double headed dildo, the bald Donald Chia pet and appropriately a rotten, hard boiled egg. That is the most uh, disgust. straight ladies. I don't know how. If you think this is a pretty appendage, I don't understand. I mean, come on, guys. You cannot look down at that and be like, I got a good looking dick. I mean, some of you probably think, I just can't, A.G., you should probably stop me from talking right now.
0: (laughs) This just reminds me of... Have you seen the movie Parenthood with Steve Martin?
3: Oh, yes.
0: You know when he goes looking for the flashlight after the power outage and he turns it on and it just starts buzzing and then the lights come on and he's holding a vibrator and the little girl goes... He just laughs and runs away and the little girl goes, what was that? And the mom goes, it was an electric ear cleaner (laughs) and the little girl goes, it was kind of big and then grandma goes, it sure was... (laughs) Reminded me of your grandfather, rest Uh, his soul.
3: I actually am trying not to. uh, um, If you do see the picture of this in the newsletter, it is absolutely disgusting. And maybe just because it's dirty. I mean, obviously, I don't think penises are like a foul thing. I just... Is it because it's dirty, Ag? I, I, I. As a straight woman, I need to know—or presumably straight. My apologies. What? Tell me, tell me your thoughts on this.
0: Here are my problem. There's this uncanny valley situation happening of it being two ended, right? It's just a like a <laughs> disembodied two ended penis, right. and then yes. and then they tried to make it look realistic. Let's just say that. Yes. Um. And. That it's tapered bothers me. That it's tapered bothers (laughs) me. One end is smaller than the other.
3: Why? I don't don't know. What's like for an Irish lady on one end? I don't get it. I mean, listen, I know that because I listen, I know that it's not just lesbians using toys like straight people use toys and gay men use toys and everyone uses toys. But the visuals this puts in my head. I need you to stop the episode. Can we just ask what's good in the world? We can. We can. (laughs) We can. Try to end this get it oh my god oh, okay i need to stop scrolling i mean i need to get off this picture not off, I think. whatever <laughs> <laughs> do you have any (laughs) final thoughts no i'm just praying by the time you hear
0: this we've got a good turnout in georgia (laughs) that's all i have oh shit balls can we name it loeffler and purdue can we (laughs) oh
3: god yes those two the double ended dildo one end is loeffler the end is the other end is purdue
0: (sighs) oh my god all right okay let's get off this picture stop good times everyone uh, uh till tomorrow mm. uh, <laughs> we just cemented our uh ourselves in the history of journalism of a true I think this is a, this is Pulitzer stuff
3: <laughs> uh, this doesn't win a webby or whatever they're called. I have no idea what it takes a podcast yeah. award, what and whatever
0: <laughs> what's it even for? All right, everybody, until tomorrow um, we'll be watching those results, and uh, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of your mental health. I've been AG and I've been DG. That's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane